Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, we continue to break down the box office and we're going to play a Quentin Tarantino tier list. So wish us luck. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 220 of Real Blend, a podcast that is ready to have a Kill Bill debate all over again. My no, name we're is not. Sean O'Connell. <laughs> it's not the, the managing editor at Cinema Blend on this week's show. The box office continues its run. Some significant things we want to talk about, about the films that are in theaters at the moment. And we are going to try, God help us all, our very first tier list uh, structured around a director and not a franchise. And that director is going to be Quentin Tarantino. We're going to be ranking the films of Quentin Tarantino on the tier list. And we'll explain how we're going to get around the idea of an S tier uh, when we get to that point. Um, and by we, I mean, uh, I'll try Jake Hamilton to see if Daenerys has stopped barking. Hi, Jake. How are you? Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm good. This is Jake of Fox 32 in Chicago. Uh, and he's joined, as always, of course, by Kevin McCarthy. Of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hello, Kevin. How are things? Sean, Jacob, Gabriel. Good to see you guys. Love you guys. And I'm um, looking forward. I mean, Tarantino tier list is going to be I already I already feel the uh, the tension and the anxiety that's going to be induced. There, into this there's particular- no tension when, Kevin, our opinion is backed by Quentin. Right. Like there, there is no tension. Like it's, it's even- game over. I'm not even doing the Kill Bill thing, but I'm saying, do you think he even has a C? No. All right, this will be interesting. All right, uh, <laughs> housekeeping. If you're watching us on YouTube, I do have a question. Sure. We are to clarify. We're only doing the nine films he's directed. We're correct. Not talking about that is correct. 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 We'll, correct. We'll explain so when we get to the segment. We'll explain when we get to the segment. But does four rooms count? Oh, I don't think so. It doesn't. I wouldn't, we'll explain I wouldn't when we count get to the four segment. rooms. Yeah. That's Gabe Kovach, the producer, uh, who is having some um, well, they video won't know. issues. My regular footage looks great. Hi, Gabe. Hi, How you doing? All right. Good to see you. If you're watching us on YouTube, thank you for joining us. Um, A lot of people went over and checked out the Tom Hanks interview on video. Uh, That clip did twice as much as a normal real blend 
uh, YouTube video does. We want to thank everybody for going in there or going over there and checking it out. We were thrilled to have video for that interview. And also Um, how well it was picked up by other sources just because of some of the fun tidbits that uh, we got from Tom during the from excuse me, from Mr. Tom Hanks uh, during the during the conversation. He's a gifted storyteller. Yeah, Tom Hanks isn't he like like no joke, though, like obviously, like I'm always going to be biased in his in his uh, corner. But like the way he tells a story is pretty incredible. The thing that floors me the most about it is that he didn't go into our interview expecting to tell any of those stories. Mm -hmm. No, Um, had no clue what we were going to ask. Even the way that we asked into certain things Mm -hmm. uh, wouldn't have brought up. Sally Field and the woman yeah. from the actor studio yeah. uh, or the Casablanca story that he told. And he tells them so well, they're so yeah. riveting. You're still hanging on every single word. So he's fantastic. If you haven't seen that yet, uh, go to YouTube.com backslash Real Blend Podcast. And not just the Tom Hanks one, but go through a bunch of our old um, interviews with some really compelling people that we have on there. Of course, you are uh, able to reach our entire library of films wherever you get your podcast needs met. And in addition, uh, we got a nice shout out from Kimberly, who's a, a longtime listener of the show, who talked about this uh, previous week's Real Blend Premium episode, which was a, a further breakdown of the Tom Hanks interview and how we got ourselves to Memphis and some of the complications that came with getting there and, and even more of the complications that came with getting back and really just giving people insight into how these interviews come together, these opportunities come together. And I think that we've heard over the years that people who listen to this show uh, enjoy that behind the scenes type stuff. Who uh, they, they enjoy those looks behind the curtain as to um, as to how these these interviews come together. So if you like premium, uh, check the description for information on where you can sign up. There's a ton of great episodes there. Uh, we are about to record premium episode number 100 uh, on wow. our most recent one, which is kind of kind of crazy. I also want to clarify that I have purchased and sent Sean two 4K Blu-rays. Um, uh, one of them was Tenet and the other one was Saving Private Ryan. These were sent yeah. o- well over a week ago. Tenet has been in his uh, uh, house for Tenet's four like a months. year. Ten- yeah. Tenet's like a year. Um, I also <laughs> sent a Sean a sound system for his yeah. TV. And he Wait, what? Kevin, I would, I would never express that kind of disrespect. I would never. I just want you Sean, to know. How have you not put on one of those yet? Well, I don't the sound. First off, the sound system is tremendous and, and, and not a day goes by that someone in our family doesn't say oh, Kevin McCarthy is the greatest. For this it really is terrific. The least and you can do for me. Those, those 4Ks are just gathering dust in yeah. a corner. The least you could do for me is just put one of those on. You know what I got today? I got this arrived in the mail. Uh, okay. Edge of Tomorrow 4K. I love that one. But you're going to watch that tonight. You have two others to put on before that. I do. It's true. But let me ask a question, though. Hold on. Let me ask a question. Because Tenet is available on HBO Max. And HBO Max, I believe, no, they don't show it in in a 4K version. It looks like it's... Well, streaming streaming 4K is is not... Streaming 4K is still compressed, and no one has, like, actually really good 4K. It's barely better than 1080p when you stream it. It's just the disc. The disc is where you get the real good 4K. As I've said on the show a million times, you can't watch Tenet with the IMAX shots unless you put the, the 4K Blu-ray in or the okay. Blu-ray. Um, right. I listen, I, I, I joke and I'm actually proud of Sean uh, because Sean has has dived in or d- 
Dovin or di- Dovin? Yeah, Dovin into Dovin. the uh, yeah. do- it sounds a weird word. Dovin Dovin weird. into the uh, 4K OLED world. And I know it's game changing because oh, it changed. My, it, it blew my mind. Um, and I, I kid around. I mean, obviously, these are movies that you've seen before. But when you get a chance, just pop them in. Just watch the opening of Saving Private Ryan and yeah. then the airplane airport scene in Tenet. It's all I ask. I would and just then- like to say that Sean has a 4K TV and I don't. And he and I have seen Tenet in 4K the same number of times. <laughs> Zero? It's true. Zero, zero, zero. Right. zero times. I will. In my defense, I'm watching a lot of Bruce Willis movies lately. We watched Blind Date and Look Who's Talking uh, last night, which but is Sean, the opening 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan. I know. I know. You don't have to tell me. Uh, all right. Let's get to the box office because um, we're proud to announce we've, we've been the show, the show uh, that is covering people returning to the box office. We have been really, really uh, beating the drum for people to go back to the multi- multiplexes uh, and for studios to release movies that give you an option to go to the movies and then have something to select from. And so uh, this past week, and in fact, if you paid attention to our text thread, which you would not be able to because it's our text thread. uh, If people only knew what was going on in our text thread. Well, in this one in particular, it was a a lot of discussion about Elvis and Top Gun uh, coming down to the wire in a bit of a tie. And then Jake being very, very happy that Elvis eventually beat Top Gun. Well, no, no way. Wait, you're, you're phrasing that weirdly. Well, um, I am, am a big fan of, of the movie Elvis, and I feel yes. like just the fact that Top Gun is pulling out the numbers it's pulling. I mean, it was a great weekend for both movies. Top Gun crossed a billion for the first time in Tom Cruise's 40 plus year career. Right. And Elvis gets the moment to be uh, the number one film in the country, which I think is incredibly impressive for a nearly three hour long biopic that's skewing toward an older audience. But though I find it funny that they're calling an older audience 35 plus because like that means I'm almost in the category of being older audiences. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, but Welcome no, I, it's, 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 not like, it's not like I was like rooting against Top Gun. I'm just happy for Elvis's success. I wanted it to do well. Also, it's important to note um, at we're recording this on Tuesday. So uh, as Sean is mentioning, uh, the weekend ended on a Sunday with both at 30, 30.5 million. And then yeah. as the numbers rolled out Monday morning, uh, we learned that Elvis beat Top Gun by one million. Now, you know, regardless of that, the weekend inc- was incredible as well. Mm-hmm. With the Black Phone did really well. Yeah. Uh, uh, I just, it made its money back. It, it, it I, surpassed I, its budget. Yeah, and a lot of these films, uh, I, I, if we get a chance, I'd like to just mention the black films. I did see it uh, on Sunday. Same. I think Jake, Jake saw it Friday. Um, but in terms of like the box office, this, this is like one of the best box office weekends I've seen in so long. I mean, you, I mean, even even though Lightyear fell, everything was still doing big numbers. Um, and then weirdly fell hard. It did 60 plus percent. But what's what's interesting, though, is as we're recording this on Tuesday, on Monday, Top Gun did beat Elvis. I just saw that um, on it's Monday unusual. specifically, um, which is interesting. Top Gun because can't be stopped. It's things unbelievable. It's a behemoth. I love it. Um, I don't, Gabe's message got cut off. Don't I'll go ahead, to, go ahead. We can just, talk about Black Phone. Us. Talk about Black Phone in this segment is fine. Oh, OK. Ah, yeah. Terrific. Um, makes sense. I, I uh, Kevin, I'm curious to your thoughts it as made, well. To give it context. I, to give it context. Yeah. It made 23.6. I don't know if you said that, Sean. Yeah. 23.6. And... and, and 20 of that was from me and 20 of that was from Kevin. I would have paid to see it. 18 million to make or something. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I think it was like a budget was like 18. Um, oh. I liked it. I liked it. Um, I, I, I for me, it's a it's a super enjoyable. It's a weird word for a movie like that. But um, I dug it for for what it was. I don't think it never crossed the threshold of greatness for me. Uh, for me, it's, it's like a really solid 
recommendable three and a half out of five or a seven out of ten as, as I would give it. Um, I thought Ethan Hawke was great. I thought the kids um, the, the, the young actors in roles that really can make and break a movie like that were absolutely tremendous. Um, I found uh, the ending, the final act, the resolution to be a little lackluster. So I feel like the, the film kind of ended on a bit of a oomph. Um, but but overall, I thought it was a like good time at the movies. But I mean, it, it can't compare to Sinister in, in the slightest if we're going to compare Scott Derrickson, Ethan Hawke horror films. Yeah, I mean, Sinister is one of the scariest movies of all time. Should I, we do a whole tier list cons- for that franchise? Scott yeah. Derrickson, Ethan Hawke, tier list. I don't even consider um, The Black Phone to be a horror movie, to be honest with you. It's more of a, a psychological thriller, I found. Yeah, but um, I, I, always get, well, I always get weird about that. Like, it, to me, it's still very much a horror. It's, it's not scary, but it's still very scary. much a horror movie. Like, I always feel like whenever a movie's not scary, then, then people say it's a, like a thriller. But, like, no. it's a horror film. It's not a horror movie. Uh, it's I, absolutely I, I, a horror I movie. Think, I think Sinister is a horror movie. I think that Black Phone is a is a psychological thriller. I think that like I, I I'm, not, I'm not saying it's not I'm not saying that as as a as a negative towards it. It's just not a horror movie. It's I mean, like straight up horror movie. Like Sinister is like I would argue the scariest movie I've ever seen. The the Black Phone is actually a really hopeful film. I found in terms of like kind of what happens in terms of the characters without giving anything away. There are bad things that happen in the Black Phone. Don't get me wrong. And there are characters who do meet tragic uh, demises. But in terms of like the overarching story, I thought it was a story of hope, a story of uh, persevering, standing up for yourself. Uh, I, th- I think that this kid, Mason Thames, is that, uh, is that how you pronounce his yeah, last that's name? Correct. Yeah, it's not it's not like the river. Yeah, you're right. What a phenomenal performance from this kid. Yeah. I mean, this kid yeah. and then his sister, Madeline. Yeah, I want to. Um, uh, um, she is that their performances carry this entire film. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're the leads like Ethan Hawke is supporting. Yeah. What I loved about the movie really were the more quiet moments, the, the, just the conversations. Mm -hmm. Like there's a moment in a bathroom where a kid where two kids are talking about going to see enter the dragon Mm -hmm. and, um, and, uh, Texas chainsaw massacre. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, these scenes are amazing. I mean, the horror aspects of it. Sure. There's, I mean, and again, I'm not saying there's not horror qualities to the movie. The movie just didn't feel like a horror movie overall. It just felt like, you know, a thriller that dealt with uh, achieving some sort of uh, positive outcome, hopefully for the characters. And I think well, I'll tell you Ethan- what, it's it's Joe Hill, who's Stephen King's son. And like yeah. a lot of Stephen King work that gets qualified as like misery. Misery is not, not a horror, horror movie. movie no. But like, I think I think it gets qualified as horror. Like if you were to put it into a genre, you know, sure, like I think I'm- that's just the case with some of their stories. Yeah, I just think that if you're expecting sinister, it's not yeah. sinister. It is, mm-hmm. it is it is it is very, very even though there are supernatural aspects to the black phone, that it is very grounded, um, even with the supernatural uh, uh, perspe- perspectives of it. But uh, one thing I will say is uh, uh, Ethan Hawke's mask was created by um, Tom Savini. Uh, if you've oh, seen from Dust. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah, Dust and they won the the, um, the coolest aspect of the mask is that depending on how the grabber who is Ethan Hawke's character feels at any particular moment, the bottom of the mask detaches and he can either put a smiley face or a yeah. frowny face That's on it, depending on how awesome. he's feeling. Oh, it's, it's it, it, it actually kind of reminded That's me awesome. of um, the mayor from nightmare before Christmas. Um, yeah. you know, oh, like yeah, his, yeah, his face yeah. would change, his head spins but, there, around. but I will say, I would just quick, Kevin, <laughs> I'm curious. And I, I, you had to, I, one of my favorite single shots this year, and it's in the trailer. So I don't think I'm ruining anything is that shot where, the young boy is being taught 
how to like fill mm-hmm. the phone with dirt and swing yeah. it back. And, and they're, they're the two, it's the young boy and then the ghost boy who's teaching him how to do it. Mm-hmm. And they're moving in a synchronized fashion, pulling it back and then throw it. And that shot, it's, it's just, it's haunting, yeah. but it's weirdly beautiful in a way. Yeah. It's, it's one of my, one of my all time favorite shots of this year. It's just yeah. a gorgeous, gorgeously framed shot. So that well was done. the that was the moment while I was watching the movie where I was like, this is really amazing. Like, because I, 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 I like the film a lot. I'm, I'm actually borderline on the love it side because I think I, I just found it deeply moving in terms of watching somebody overcome something like this. And now, regardless of the of the aspect of the story, it is really a story about overcoming bullying and overcoming uh, people just just not standing up for yourself and kind of what that moment will be for you when you do stand up for yourself. And I think thematically that's why i love this film it wasn't just like i was just like involved with these characters and this kid mason i don't really know where i know him from but this is this is a star making performance like it is a phenomenal performance for a kid to carry a movie like this an r-rated movie mm-hmm. that's on on a sunday with a pretty packed crowd mm-hmm. and everybody was in it man like it it, it is it is a, and it's shot beautifully scored mm-hmm. incredibly um i just think derrickson's such a damn great yeah. storyteller it really it's a great story i i think we're putting yeah. a lot of attention on elvis and top gun maverick both doing incredibly well and again uh, emphasizing that, that four movies at the top of the box office uh chart had double digit uh openings i i just want to quietly mention uh dominion just cleaning up globally like and making it look easy like well i feel like we're gonna wake up in like six weeks and go i'm sorry it made how much yeah i mean it's already worldwide at 748 uh million dollars and so i feel that i'm not sure what territories are left for it to open in but it feels like a billion is a lock okay i have a a question for you guys if you're trevorrow and the movie gets the worst reviews in the history of the Jurassic franchise, I think it's like 30% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I know we don't qualify, but let's just use that for a second. It's 30% of Rotten Tomatoes is the worst critic rating in the franchise, but it makes a gazillion dollars mm-hmm. in your mind. Is it a success? Yes, 100%. Yeah. Isn't, yeah. isn't that what Avatar is? I mean, yeah, he'll argue but Avatar that he got nominated for Best Picture. He's going to argue you think that it should have been not. He didn't make a movie for critics. He made a movie for fans of the franchise. That that'll be his argument. Now, do, would he want critics to also appreciate it? Sure. Yes, of course. Of course he would. And but critics did like Avatar, obviously. Um, some did. Yeah. Now, some did. does he have to convince himself of that or does he truly deep down well, believe that? My, my point with 748 million worldwide is that's repeat business. You know, yeah. that that's not. And word of mouth was. Yeah. And it's going to cross a billion. Horrible on this movie and it didn't Kids. stop it in its track. Yeah, Kids it is. Love I these. guess it is. Yeah. It Kids must be. Love these movies. I, 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 one of my producers came up to me the other day because I, I, cause I didn't like Dominion and I'd said it on the air. He's like, I'm taking my son to see it. And I know, and, and his son loved it. I mean, his son's yeah. like 13 or 12. And like, you have to remember like that perspective of, of cinema. They don't, they don't have the the uh, the recognition or the remembrance of seeing Jurassic Park for the first time. Right. So, like, yeah, right. They, yeah. they, I'm sure they've gone back and watched these movies. But in their head, like these these Jurassic yeah. World movies are it. So, like, they don't really yeah. understand. Like, I, I'm curious as to what a, yeah. a kid who grew up on the world movies. I'm curious to hear what they would think of Park because like, Park is small to them. I will tell you, we literally just went back to the to the symphony this past oh, weekend. Oh, yes. And, and it's so great. Jurassic How great Park. is that? 
Well, it's terrific. Um, this was our third time seeing a movie with the Charlotte. Yeah, if you've never done it alongside of it, I'm saying Return of the Jedi on Friday. We saw Back to the Future and we mm-hmm. saw A Nightmare Before Christmas. And Love then it. we just went to go see Jurassic Park. And this I've was seen f- Jaws and Raiders and they're just they're phenomenal. Terrific uh, uses of it. So Back to the Future um, became Brendan's all time favorite movie after seeing after it with that, the symphony. Oh. After seeing it with the symphony because they, they added music, mm-hmm. added so much to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Particularly Nightmare that score, Alan Silvestri score. That score is terrific. Did you say Nightmare on Elm Street? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, Nightmare Before. Uh, Nightmare Before. Okay, got it. I was getting really excited Christmas. for a second. That would have been, yeah. That Nightmare on Elm Street is a great score. So, two things I'll point out about Park. Well, a couple, actually, a couple of things I'll point out about Park. Um, and you and your whole family went. All four of us went. Yeah. Yes. Of the three, this was the first time that I kind of forgot the symphony was playing alongside of it because I was mm-hmm. so engrossed in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, hadn't seen Jurassic Park from start to finish. hadn't hadn't actually physically sat down to watch Jurassic Park from start to finish. Um, and just the way that that movie is constructed is so it's it's so perfect. It's just perfect. It's didn't did it surprise you? Because it's surprised many times I've seen this movie. It's because whenever you watch the movie and there are stretches where they don't play, a lot of times um, they'll put down like their bows or they'll put down like their instruments. Sure. The deer, the T Rex breakout. It really made me realize, oh, that's right. There's no music in yeah, this yeah. like 10 minute sequence at all. Right. It really makes you realize the moments that do and do not use music. Yes. Well, it was like the first time you saw when you saw Heat for the first time and they go into that they go into that shooting sequence at the bank and there's no music. It's just yeah. like the sound of guns echoing yeah. like, to me like that. That's a masterful uh, score and filmmaking tool, because if you have a great score, it's the silence that makes that score even better when it comes back in. And it makes that moment more realistic. Now, both of my boys grew up on the Jurassic World franchise, like the Jurassic series to them is Jurassic World. It's Chris mm-hmm. Pratt. It's Bryce Dallas Howard. They've seen the other films, but those are the ones that they attach themselves to. But both of them coming out of it were like, oh, that's much better than I remember it to be. Right. Um, yes! Because because and especially like once the kitchen scene started, like Brendan was sitting next to me and he leaned over and he goes, Oh, the kitchen scene. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the, like they were just in. They're just in. It just pulls you in. So it was terrific. And um, but there were moments, the one my one complaint, and then we'll we'll wrap up this segment, that there were times when the they ran the movie with subtitles because there were times that the music overpowered the dialogue. Um, and that didn't happen with Back to the Future and it didn't happen with Nightmare Before Christmas. So it was weird that that happened that way. And I don't I don't know what the case was. Just to round out real fast, the box office, just to give these numbers, because I I want to make a point here, because at the start of the pandemic, and I think even Jordan Peele was talking about this recently, where uh, when he the reason he made Nope the way he did is because he wanted to make a spectacle because he wasn't sure where the theatrical business was going to be, you know, during this period. And I I know the theater business is is the least of our worries when we're dealing with a pandemic, but it was a a concern for people who love going to the movies and things like that. And. To sit here on a Tuesday looking at the box office for this weekend, Elvis, 31 million, Top Gun, 29 million, Jurassic World, 26 million, Black Phone, 23 million, Lightyear, 18 million. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm just so happy that yeah. we are we that we were able. I mean, again, we're still in the pandemic. I'm just so happy that we're seeing this happen. Remember um, when it, it, we were just basically reporting every week on like this movie right. was pushed back and that movie was it, pushed oh, back and this movie was pushed worst. back a year and this movie was pushed it back just, a year and a half. 
it shows you again and again and again that nothing matches the theatrical experience. Mm -hmm. And like part of the reason why films like Jurassic are doing so well is because think about the social aspect. This is something we talk about when we talk talk about like the Christopher Nolan and Denis Villeneuve when they're writing about HBO Max and things like that. The social aspect of getting in a car with your friends and going to the movies and like hanging out, talking on the outside of the movie afterwards. um, These are things you can't do at home or Mm -hmm. recreate at home. Uh, And I know not everybody has accessibility to theaters, but I just love that we're seeing this happen. I mean, it's a really big deal. It it no longer gives movies um, the pandemic excuse for failure anymore. Right. Because now we've seen one, we've seen older audiences come out from movies like Top Gun and Elvis. We've right. seen astronomical, you know, fanboy numbers from movies like No Way Home. Like every sort of audience has been served. And if the movie is right, shown up for a particular film in some form or fashion. So you can no longer you, you know, if a if a if a movie in this this fall bombs, they can't say, oh, it's the right. pandemic anymore because we've seen, well, you know. And in a, yeah. in a minute, you're going to have a nice balance in the top 10 because you're going to have Minions, you're going to have yeah. Thor, Love and Thunder, you're going to have Nope, you're going to have Bullet Train. Yeah. Like there's a bunch of things coming that are going to draw crowds. Yeah. And so, people this, are going multiple times to mm-hmm. Top Gun and multiple times to Jurassic. I saw three times. You want to get out and you want to go. And there are movies that are designed to be seen this way. And I just it just more it just makes me really happy that we're back in this position yeah. here, here. Yeah. Gabe, are we taking an ad break or we're doing the tier list? Go ahead and throw us to an ad, Sean. Sounds good. See you guys on the other side. Pay some bills. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And we are back, and we're diving right in to the Quentin Tarantino tier list. I will start us off uh, before we get going to let people know about some of the uh, the new rules, the new ways that this is going to work. For one, if you're new here, um, we talked to Tarantino himself, and so we consider Kill Bill to be one movie. And so, oh, I'm sorry, Gabe. Could you say that one more time? We consider Kill Bill to be <laughs> one movie. And if you've and, been here a long time, that? if you've been here a long time, you'll know that that has uh, been a point of contention on this show between some of the hosts. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But we've moved on past that because the director himself said uh, <laughs> we're better people now. We're better people. So, so uh, you might to, see. No, uh, to, 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 to be fair, and I listen, I'm not He did say, "I understand where you're coming from." Yeah, that's it's being polite. That's a nice way of saying that's that's like the equivalent of like my mom saying, "Bless your heart." Yeah. So. It just means you're stupid. To, to finish my point, um, <laughs> you'll see the Kill Bill Volume 1 artwork, but we're using it to represent Kill Bill as a whole. And uh, if you've been listening to our tier lists, uh, you'll know that we rank them S through F and then haven't seen. But for directors, we are adding, we're taking away S and we're replacing it with Masterpiece. And we are challenging ourselves um, to debate and decide on a singular Masterpiece, a more sort of uh, uh, closer to the definition, I guess you could say, of a Masterpiece um, this will never work for Nolan, by the way. The way this is going to work oh. is well, the way this is going to work uh, is we will we're going to stay away from masterpiece. We're going to rank everything um, A, B, C, D, and F, and then at the end we will come back to the A tier and we will all uh, talk about what we want to nominate for the masterpiece. We'll have a discussion and uh, we'll have to somehow civilly dis or civilly agree um, on what his masterpiece is. Good luck with that. This is going to be a relatively short one for me. I think it's going to be quick. I, I think it's going to be yeah. quick. So we'll see how fun this is. Well, I, got a, I got a couple of curveballs to throw over. Once. No, you <laughs> don't. Right. I do. I do. Just All conversations. Right. Conversations. Uh, conversations reservoir Dogs. Is there any reason this shouldn't be an A, boy, gentlemen? No. It's no. an A. Nope. It's, it's an, an A. a, right? What an incredible debut, an historic debut. Um, is this kind of credited? I think it's a number of films of uh, sort of kicking off the like new era of independent filmmaking um yeah i don't know i can't remember if this is the first um obviously well, obviously yeah. like the first independent was um was in the 70s well, i can't think of the name of it uh easy writer like, this was around like the time the that like indie that um sex lies and videotape yeah, and clerks and, 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 and yeah. arrow was it, like was they, it uh, they all came out together What's a, what's a Linklater's movie? Sca Linklater um, made Scanners? Slackers. 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 Yes. Slackers. Yeah. It, it, the, all of those films, and, and Reservoir Dogs is absolutely one of them, Yeah, ca captured the voice of these filmmakers so completely uh, that, you know, everything that, that came after them, they evolved and grew, but it was still, you saw the bones of who they were uh, in, in those early movies. Like, Also, Reservoir Dogs was the first movie that I ever saw where... I started to notice that songs became mm. uh, connected to movies out uh, more than they did as songs themselves. Yeah. Right. Um, like Stephen Wright, uh, who's hosting K Billy's super sounds of the seventies sounds of the seventies. Um, you know, in that, in, you know, and then he puts on that Steelers wheel track that Mr. White then, you know, does his dance to and cuts Marvin's ear off with. Um, that is a song that will never not be Reservoir Dogs to me. I mean, that is that. I mean, and there's so many of those songs in terms of like Quentin's career. Like, have you ever been at like a department store or a grocery store and like specifically like that song, heard that song come on and you can almost look around to see like you could see the faces of usually like dudes, but like a, a, a number of, of people. You can look around and just see the people connecting it to Reservoir Dogs. You can just sort of see like or a lot of times like, you know, people whispering to someone like, oh, this is the Reservoir Dog song. This is the Reservoir Dog I mean, song. to be fair, uh, the 70s and 80s had plenty of songs. Uh, I'm not movies saying that were associated with songs. The point I know, the point the, the point I made was a personal point. I said, yeah, me. Yeah. I, you gotcha. know, as a kid, Reservoir Dogs was the first time I started to associate a specific song with a scene. But I remember I was also 
11 years old when that, that movie came out. So to clarify, that comment was a personal comment, not a not an sure, overarching sure. comment. Well, yeah, it's yeah. a wonderful movie. Uh, we'll keep it moving with a, what I assume is going to be another A, Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Pulp Fiction. Another, any, any detractors? That's a D. No, it's but another, D. Another, <laughs> D. another instance of music, Al Green, uh, I, I, won't, I, I can't think of songs that are famous for and this actually goes to sean's point there are songs in pulp fiction that are famous to other people for many other reasons decades prior right those sure. songs will always be pulp fiction songs to me sure. though because i hadn't You'll heard be them before pulp woman. fiction right. yeah at, at least he for the most part tried to go out of his way and pick songs that weren't like wildly popular um jacob they have to are mute now you especially that up. soundtrack because we're going to get sued. That soundtrack. Uh, so it's just going to be enormous. silent video of me doing this. Yes. And then no one being able to understand whatever Sean just says. <laughs> everyone owned that soundtrack when that movie came out. Yeah. Great. Yeah, soundtrack. Everyone. Gain, great. Soundtrack. Enormous. And, and kind of solidified. Well, I guess I don't know. You, you guys might remember better than me. I, um, I don't have memories from this time. We'll just say. But uh, um, did this kind of solidify him as like a soundtrack director? It did because the I'll first was you know his first film was his first film, but this one is just such a monumentous soundtrack. I'll, I'll tell you why. So, and, and Gabe brings up a really interesting point because there, are, there, are th- I think there are three types of filmmakers: soundtrack heavy filmmakers, score driven filmmakers, and then there's filmmakers who combine both of those. Um, like for example, like something like Thor Ragnarok or even Thor Love and Thunder, where you have heavy heavy soundtrack but also great score. I mean, it, you're, you're able to, you're able to live in both worlds. But going back to Pulp Fiction, the moment I realized how important soundtrack was going to be for him as a filmmaker, and I don't think I realized it until later on in my life that this was the moment. But I'll never forget my my mom's best friend, Carol, coming to visit from New York. And oh, we know Carol. Oh, you know, Carol from my wedding. Yeah. Um, and well, do you, do you, you met her at the wedding? I was only kidding. No, I was, like, oh. I was only kidding. Well, I don't know Carol at all. J- Jake, Jake <laughs> might know her. Jake might know Anyways, Carol. My best my mom's my friend, Carol, came to visit from New York. And at the time, Pulp Fiction was the biggest, most talked about film out there. And they rented it on VHS and I wasn't allowed to watch it um, because I think I was 10 at the time. Um, And then I went downstairs and I snuck behind the couch and Dick Dale's uh, opening guitar riff that 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 was the moment where I realized like that, like I, I don't know in that moment for sure that I clicked it, but that was the moment. I remember going back to thinking, man, that is game changing. It just changed right. everything about how I thought music could be used in a movie. Um, and remember, like, remember we asked Quentin about why he froze her mouth yep. um, in that in that in that moment, which I thought was so cool. I always wondered why he did that. Um, yes. But yeah, if you're new here, if yeah. you're new here, um, go back, check our feeds wherever you get podcasts and uh, look for our three that, interviews with that one was. Answered in the 20 minute one. I want to believe it was first, it was. first interview. Yeah. 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 We talked about the opening scene and basically the characters, you know, um, and then essentially uh, what the line is said, which I can't probably say. On Let's our uh, show, but we'll, we'll no, just keep it moving keep it. with um, Jackie Brown, a departure uh, from his first two, um, an adaptation, right? It's based on a book, if I'm not mistaken. Elmer Leonard. Rum Thank Punch. you. Yes. Um, who wants to. Jackie Brown's a B for me. B for Brown. It's an A for me. I forget that Kevin does love this one. Uh, Jake, where are you at? I'm going to say B because it's the only time it feels like Tarantino is doing someone else's material. That's why it's a B for me. See, I disagree. It's a good movie. I disagree with that. 
it's no, a good yeah, movie. It's a, it's a yeah, it's a, it's a really good movie. But it, it it it's it feels like Tarantino doing Elmore Leonard. That so that uh, makes it a B. But Kevin, I do want to hear because you you like it as an A. I do want to hear your your thoughts. I think I think the, the Jackie Brown is is one that has grown with me over time. So I went and saw Jackie Brown. I think it was Christmas Day with my father, um, and. I remember sitting in there because I was such a Pulp Fiction fan and and it is such a gigantic change and shift in terms of like pacing and and, and the way it's done. Um, so I think coming off of Pulp Fiction, it was hard for people to, uh, you know, not think of Pulp Fiction and want Pulp Fiction from that filmmaker. As I've gotten older and I sat down and watched Jackie Brown more and more, it, it's a masterwork. Um, I think I are, I think one of his greatest shots of all his entire career is in that film. It's when uh, Sam Jackson, it's a wonder where he's like, he puts Beaumont, Chris Tucker's character in the trunk and he's listening to that track in the car and he gets up and he gets in the car and drives around in the one shot parks, shoots Beaumont, gets back in the car. And it's, it, it, it it's so effective in terms of soundtrack and performance, but also just that mo- that movie is all about kind of sitting around, right? It's kind of a more of a, there is a hangout aspect to that film as well. Yeah, it was Even it was the, his hangout movie before he did Hollywood, right? And like sitting there on the couch with De Niro and you know and, and uh, Samuel Jackson and um, uh, Bridget Fonda, and then just like kind of like I just that moment when like the phone's ringing and and Bridget Fonda won't get up, <laughs> Samuel Jackson is just like I mean I I don't know I just think back to that film a lot more than I did. At a younger age, it's funny because if he if he we'd done this tier list in '97 when I was a kid, I would be like, yeah, that was a B, wasn't an A. But yeah, I I, I, I have I, it in an A now. I've I, tried I, you know, I, every every time we um every time Robert we interview Forster. him, I tend to do a I tend to do like a run through of his of his work every time we speak to him. Um and and every time I press play on Jackie Brown, I think okay, this is the time where it's really going to click. Mm-hmm. for me in the way that it clicks for Kevin and it just never has. And the storyline that that improves for me over the years is Robert Forster oh, and Pam Greer. Yeah. They're, they're terrific side plot. Oh yeah. Or, or main Greer, plot essentially. Yeah. The opening shot or the opening one of the opening shots I think it's the opening shot of the movie where it's in the credits and we're just going alongside Pam Greer yeah, and yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah. LAX. Pam Greer is so amazing in that film. Michael Keaton is incredible. Um also but but man Robert Forster is so He's damn great great in that movie he is great but it loses me on all of the hangout stuff it loses me on the sam jackson robert de niro stuff which is just too loose it's too even didn't he say like in our interview that jackie brown is a movie that his characters would go see which is why it still feels like kind of detached for me it feels you know it's it's his light year in a way and also, I gotta, I gotta say, it, it, it'd be very easy for us to go across the board, honestly, in his filmography, and just be like a across the board. Sure. Well, I think we have to scrutinize a bit, and and put a few of them a little bit lower. Yeah. But a few. Uh, and then last thing about Jackie, last thing about Jackie Brown, real quick. Um, uh, talking sure. about soundtrack, there's a song in that movie called "Across 110th Street" mm-hmm. that will forever. Again, it's a song that meant something to other people years ago before they saw Jackie Brown. Like my mom and dad probably thought that song, heard that song differently. Right. But for me, I didn't know that song until I saw Jackie Brown. And it's always solidified with that movie. And I love that song. See, Quentin, Quentin basically has educated me on so much music that I never would have listened to or ever heard of, probably um, because I was I grew up like a heavy metal fan and a hip hop fan. But I didn't go back to the original classics and the, the earlier films and earlier music. 
And I'm just so thankful to him that I like I love Across 110th Street. And I think I, I'm just so happy I know that song. It's because of Jackie Brown. Um, but I love that movie. And I think uh, I think people should give it a, another chance. I was in the same camp as you guys for a little while. It, 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 it took me a while. Same, same thing happened to me on No Country for Old Men. I didn't love I didn't love sure. the ending of No Country for Old Men until I got older. Um, Jackie Brown just hits different now. We will so. keep it moving with as we prefaced uh, this segment with Kill Bill. Um, should we just refer to it as the whole bloody affair, Kev? Sure. Yep. Sure. Or just kill right. him. Or just kill now, him. Now, here's where things are going to get complicated. Because if you guys truly want to consider Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2 as one movie. We are. We are. Then, we are. Then, then, to me, then to me, it's a B. Okay. Because I would argue then that the second half of that movie is okay. not nearly as good as the first half. Even though David Carradine has one of the greatest monologues in Tarantino history in that movie. Sure. He has like, but okay. Tarantino yeah. has like eight greatest monologues in Tarantino history that are all like very good. And also, yeah. you're not, not really that disparages about, it, but. But you're talking about the last 20 minutes of a two and a half hour film. But the, it, for, see, it. it's interesting because the, the first half, the first half of the film is very much influenced by his love of um, samurai films. And the back half right. of the sure. film is very much influenced by his love of spaghetti westerns. And I good actually, choice prefer, words. I, I prefer, um. I prefer the spaghetti Western influences more so than the samurai. Influences. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, and again, for people like I know this is a debate we've had on the show a million times, but like, you know, for, for people who don't know this, he shot it. He shot the whole thing as one movie over a million feet mm-hmm. of film. I remember him shooting for this. Um, and we did we finally a, discuss a, a, this in the New York interview volume two or did, did this all come out in the first interview? first interview it was the first interview and basically the, the the thing you're referring to in our new york interview which we can go ahead and plug because that's my favorite interview I've, we've, I've been a part of uh um we did um we had a whole discussion with him about the nc-17 possibility that's of the house yeah, of yeah, believe yeah. scene um and there's a really cool story that he tells about playing God, with that the so good. yeah and <laughs> so a, um we gotta stop patting but kill bill I'm telling you this the Kill Bill is a movie that Quentin shot and intended as one film. And sure. though it was split into two because of a studio thing. And I and, and, and he explained it in our interview. Just go back and find it. It makes sense financially. And I, and I understand that. But but I'm saying that tonally the two halves of this one movie, let's say, mm-hmm. are so different to me. I don't think you would have uh, felt this way if you had seen it as one like the deer hunter, for example. Those there are two tones to that film. Full Metal Jacket, two tones to that movie, but they work together. They're, I don't know. I, I, you could split Full Metal two, Jacket. Volume two feels like a completely different movie to me. See, well, it's, a, it's an A for me. A for it's an A for me too. Okay. That'll put us in the A. Um, well, I mean, Sean, have you seen Deer Hunter and Full Metal? You've seen Full Metal Jacket, obviously, course, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, and I'm not saying they're directed by Tarantino for people out there listening. I'm obviously I know they're Kubrick and uh, I don't actually who did uh, Deer Hunter. Full, Full Metal Jacket is is 20 minutes of a two hour movie. Like these are tough comparisons. You know, it's not we didn't get the boot camp is not an entire movie that was more released than 20 minutes. separately. Mm, I think it's about 20 minutes. How long is the opening of Deer Hunter before they go into the war? That like an know. hour and a half, probably an hour or that something I don't like that. Know. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I, but if I were to, if I were to, if if we were doing these separately, I would call volume one an A and volume two a B. But okay. if you if you guys want to put them both together, then you can put them both at A. All right. Death proof. Now I would a unique be okay with going. I'd be okay with a B here. B. Yeah, I'm I'm B for death proof. I'm B for death proof. But also. it's really good. I, I, but it's really good. No, yeah. It's I mean, good. the once once Terrific. the chase starts. 
it's some of his best directing in terms of like his craft as a director. I just find like the for for a man who is known for writing like probably the greatest dialogue in movie history, I find the conversations and the dialogue amongst really a lot of the characters in the in the leading up to the chase to be like fairly mediocre work for him. Sure. I, I so uh, I'm a really big fan of the Grindhouse uh, double feature, and I and to me it was like one of the coolest experiences to see that as a three and a half hour or so film with yeah. the three trailers in between from Rob Zombie and Edgar Wright and um, who am I missing here? Who was the third guy that jumped in for that one? Um, Eli Roth. The Eli Roth did Thanksgiving. Yeah. There you go. And then thanks don't. And then, or, or no, thanks killing. Werewolves of the yeah. And so, yeah, that's right. The movie opened with, with Machete. Then it went to Planet Terror. Then it went to the three trailers. Then it went to Death Proof. Death Proof is. It's incredible. I mean, I actually like the dialogue and all, all the leading up to it and the bar stuff and um, just the driving around in the car. And, and, and but but it is it's his it's most def- basic. It's his yeah. most basic film. Sure. It's but still that, stylish. It's yeah. not aspiring to, to a whole heck of a lot. Um, it's, it's a genre exercise. But man, that scene when he crashes that car and that leg flies out of the mm. of the uh, I mean, that that is one of the most bru- I, sure. I, I will never forget seeing that for the first time and just thinking about how terrified I would be to be sitting in that seat without a seatbelt going that fast, knowing what was coming and knew, knowing nothing. You could do nothing about it. Like That is mm-hmm. so freaking scary, man. Like that. Oh, what a brutal sequence. And Kurt Russell's great in that movie. Yeah. That's yeah, a great, great Kurt Russell performance. Um, but uh, yeah. All right. I'm good with a B on that. Cool. B it is. This is where I feel like things are about to get interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so we have we have Inglorious Bastards. A. Yep. a. Um, I, it's absolutely an A. I, yeah. yeah. You, 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 this is an automatic. I <laughs> Sean just shrugs. Wait a second. Sean. Jason, Sean. Man. Absolute A. Yeah. It's, yeah a, it, it's a B for me, but I'm okay. outvoted. The B. opening scene alone is a masterpiece. But, but, you, but you, enjoy, you enjoy singling out specific scenes from Tarantino films. The whole films. movie you want me to. No, but I'm saying that the, the movie itself, the whole movie itself is not great. There are certain Ooh. scenes in it that are very good. They're the very, whole movie. There are certain scenes in it that are very good. Respectfully. That's wow. There are certain are scenes wow, in wow, it wow, wow, wow. that are very good, but the whole movie itself is not great. It's, I disagree. It's pretty unshapely. Dude. Um, Dude. It's, I was just about he, to say, you're pretty unshapely. He, I, it's he, true. That is also true. He made, he made eating cream. Don't forget uh, the intense. cream. I mean, like, that, no, that it's movie. There's a tremendous opening scene. Of a two hour and 25 minute movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I think that script is tight. Standing opening scene. Oh, I think that I think the, the entirety of the script is just tremendous. The whole script. The I don't, like, here's the thing. I mean, there are there are chunks of the middle of that movie that I I can't even tell you what happens in it. It, it, it did not. It does not. Stick how many times with me. have you seen it? I've tried three or four times. I can't get through it. What? I can't get through what? it. I, fi- I, I find it to be incredibly boring. It doesn't make it a B for me, but the um the Mike Myers inclusion is one of the I worst agree. choices. One of the worst choices he's made. 
That's just as bad. That one and then him playing the Australian guy in Django was terrible. Those are the I, two worst. <laughs> like, I think decisions. there are a lot of things. There are a lot of things in Inglorious Bastards that Quentin thinks are really funny that don't connect with me. Um, me. I like that. That's funny. Like maybe it's cool. maybe it's like Army. Kevin and Kevin Bonjour and, and Taika. Yeah, like 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 Pitt's exaggerated accent. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love it. It wears yeah. on me in, in, after a minute. It's just let's, like, um, nah, nope. Gabe is 100 percent right about Mike Myers, by the yeah, way. I'm glad bad. you brought that up. But because that's such that's a, the, such a, a like I said, it doesn't movie. make it a B for me, though. It doesn't make it agreed. A B but it takes me um, out of the movie. Let's go on to Django, because I do want to reserve some time to for the masterpiece discussion. Django and I think Django's an A. Django's an A. Django's an A. I think Django's an A. And Django's an A mostly to for me because of DiCaprio. And I love and I love Waltz in it and I love Jamie Foxx in it. I I think Sam Jackson is so despicable. And maybe that's his part. But it's yeah. it's uncomfortable for me I, to watch. I love Waltz in that movie, but the fact that Waltz won the Oscar and DiCaprio and Sam Jackson didn't even get nominated is kind of astounding to me. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Also, crazy. Sam Jackson's performance in that movie. It's one of the best performances of his career. Oh, yeah. it's, um, it's 100 percent horrifying. He he found a route into that character that it, it, the uncomfortable feeling you're feeling yeah. is meant to be like, no, like of course and uh, yes and of course when I when I watch Django though it's definitely an A um, also I think it's <gasps> out of all the movies he's made I think it's his own, is, is it his only love story as a director I think yeah, so probably, probably. Yeah. well no um, Jackie Brown is I think Jackie Brown yeah. is yeah. yeah that's a good call but Django is such a great love story I love that I love that Django, Kill Bill's uh, but, a breakup story but here's the sure. difference <laughs> um, with DiCaprio I know he's sinister because he's sinister in Django, but I can still enjoy watching him like there. There's a difference between like I'm enjoying how much of a of a villain you are versus Sam Jackson's character, who's just like just evil. He's just because evil. It's the well, there's that scene where Sam Jackson tells a story. Was it I'm trying to remember this, if, if I have this right, where he would shave the neck of DiCaprio's father's character, yes. right? And like, I just remember that scene sticking with me because that to me is like is kind of what the character who the character is, this loyalty the character has in that in that sense. And it's really terrifying. You're 100 percent right, because like you think about that moment, like, why wouldn't he just do that to DiCaprio's dad and just roll get get out of there? And like it is it is a very interesting character study. And I think that that's why Sam Jackson wanted to play it, because it's so layered and so unbelievably like like horrifying at times. The what, um, what the character ends up having to do. We're gonna so. keep it going with the hateful eight. Uh, hateful eight. Anyone doesn't want to put this at an A? No, I think hateful eight's an A. Yeah, I love hateful. A. Hateful eight is surprisingly rewatchable. Yeah, oh, it's great. I've I've oh. actually found myself. I, I've I never done it every the, uh, winter. I have. I still have never not seen that like extended thing that he did with I, Netflix. I watched that. Oh, where, they, where they split it in episodes. I still prefer it as a movie. Oh, yeah. I loved it. It was it's it's, it's a different experience. It, 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 honestly, uh, I'm glad we brought this up. But does um, it add it's anything? Only, it's nothing's added to it, right? It's just cut. Hard, no, it feel it feels. No, oh yeah, I mean it's stuff he shot. Yeah, but, yeah. but no, it, no, I'm saying they, feel, they don't add any more footage or oh, anything. They, no, the, they, no, they, they add do? stuff to okay, it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, I need dude, to see it. like it's yeah, it's like four Ooh. hours long. It's, it's like watching. The, yeah, this is why I've seen it. Yeah. 
Also, one thing I love about the episodic element of it, it's, it plays completely differently. Um, because sure. basically, as you reach they an do a, end they do of an a cheesy episode, intro uh, song every time, and they all look at the no, camera. No, no, it, it just <laughs> it's, like, it's like Peacemaker. They're all do like dancing in the snow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's it's episodic. So like like basically, like you when you go on the Netflix, like you play five it. episodes yeah, yeah, yeah. of Stranger Things. Right. Yeah, it's it's really good. Also, um, real quick on Django, uh, DiCaprio's monologue with the skull. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and then, and then Sam Jackson's monologue in Hateful Eight about Bruce Stern. Well, I think yes. I, I also figured out one thing quick that, that I want to add that my problem is with Bastards. Similar to Wes Anderson, I think Wes Anderson finds certain actors who are really good at delivering his dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I think Quentin Tarantino finds actors who are really good at delivering his dialogue. Tim Roth. Can't hate him. Um, uh, Sam Jackson, obviously. Uh, Kurt Russell ends up becoming one of these guys, especially in Hateful Eight. Yeah, I don't think people in Inglorious Bastards are really good with Tarantino's dialogue. Oh, I, I don't disagree. Think that, I don't think Pitt is. I don't think Eli Roth is. I don't think Michael Fassbender is. I I think only Christoph Waltz. The Fassbender scene in the restaurant it proves that all wrong. Does I'm nothing sorry. to me. That's Does nothing. Oh my me. God, that scene is one of the best scenes in the whole movie. You're talking about Magneto when he's threatening to kill those guys. That's a much better scene. <laughs> All right. Once upon a time in Hollywood, I do love that scene. A, it's an all, a. yeah, Hollywood's an a. Yeah. Right. Hollywood is his masterpiece. I want to parlay that it is. right into masterpiece nominations. Um, we've done three interviews with Tarantino about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, so go back. You will hear us gush about that film over and over again. Um, I'm, I have a random order here. I'm just going to go down. Jake, what's the one film you want to nominate as masterpiece? Pulp Fiction. Sean. Oh, Hollywood. Hollywood. <laughs> it's between uh, uh, it's between those two. Yeah, it's, it's between, between those, those two. two. I think so. Kev. I think Hollywood's his best movie, but I think Pulp Fiction's his masterpiece. I want to say Pulp Fiction as well. Me. I want to say Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. We don't. I, it's I don't know. Maybe maybe this is not how you should grade a masterpiece. But if if what he does in Pulp Fiction doesn't redefine the way people watch movies or think about storytelling in cinema at the time that it did and influences the audience the way it, that it did. It doesn't give us all the other stories that he told us. You know what I mean? Like, Correct. and just, and just looking at, if you're watching on YouTube, like looking at this tier graphic, that image, just that poster to me screams Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. That does. image more than anything. Like it's just, that image is so Quentin Tarantino. Right. And, th- and, and it, this becomes a discussion of what a masterpiece really is because in terms of like I w- I could sit here and tell you that I think Hollywood's the best movie he- he's ever made it was the movie he was born to make but Pulp Fiction it's hard not to justify that as the as the masterpiece because I, while I don't while I would I do think Hollywood's a better movie overall Pulp Fiction did things and it's it's hard because I'm I'm, I'm kind of against this train of thought. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm actually example. genuinely surprised to hear you say this, to be honest. Well, with here, you. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Like going back to like, like I don't love Citizen Kane, for example. Um, I think Citizen Kane is a technical masterpiece. I don't particularly care for it from a story perspective. Um, but I also Sean, understand. What did, uh, what did Orson Welles think of your review? <laughs> <laughs> I, also, <laughs> I also fully understand what Citizen Kane did for cinema in terms of deep focus and shots sure, and sure, editing. Sure, sure. Yeah. So I can't you can't knock Citizen Kane from from because of what it did. I don't love that film, but I love what it did. Pulp Fiction is is 
Tarantino's masterpiece. It's the right. movie that 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 you know that changed everything. It is it, it it moved cinema forward. It just changed the way we watched films. Um, it was unique, special. It drew soundtrack into a special place that maybe we hadn't seen in a long time. The nonlinear structure of the movie, the performances, the revival of John Travolta. Um, just two bad guys hanging out talking about hamburgers. I mean, I'm telling you, it, it was it was. It's a very, very unique film that you cannot not call his masterpiece. It Even, changed, and, and, it changed yeah. everything. Yeah, but it, it's it hard. Sh- it, it literally it, changed everything. But I sound like a hypocrite in a weird way because I do prefer. Here's I do why, believe that Hollywood's his best movie, but I don't. I can't yeah. give it his masterpiece. I, I can't. I don't disagree with you because I think Hollywood is him at his most polished. Agreed. And which is which is just I mean that's what that's what making a movie every time cool. he's getting better and better at it but it's right. Hollywood is such a departure from him it's still him it's still a Tarantino movie it's not that you feel right. like you're watching kind of like we talk about Jackie Brown where it kind of feels like he's doing someone else's thing at the point that Jake made it's it it's not that it's that it's still very much Tarantino but it feels like he's letting us in on a different side that we just have never seen him do and well, that's and- why it's so hard to put them against each other he yeah. also said in one of our interviews i think it was the new york one that on Pulp Fiction, he still very much felt like he was figuring out how to make a movie. Absolutely. You know, know, which is crazy because it turned out the way that it did. And sometimes there's there's a beauty to that, to that uncertainty. You know, sometimes real magic comes out of that. I also Um, think Pulp Fiction is to me, Hollywood's his warmest movie. And I I, I guess emotionally for me, I I would say It's kind of like how I look at Nolan in terms of like why I love Interstellar so much is because Interstellar was the first movie of his that I genuinely found myself emotionally invested in in a way that it grabbed me. And I think Pulp Fiction, there's so much going on in Pulp Fiction that you you're kind of like in an ADD perspective, like jumping back and forth between these characters and you stay with them for a certain period of time, but you're, 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 you're invested in them, but you're, you're kind of just playing along with what they're doing. And it's not, it's, it's a great way to tell a story, but with Hollywood, I found myself really, really um, emotionally attached to Sharon Tate, to, you know, Rick Dalton, to Cliff Booth. I I just, I love these people. I love spending time with them. Just, just Sharon Tate walking into a bookstore to buy, Mm -hmm. to get a book for Polanski. Like just that whole, like like, like that scene, you know, on paper, it, it doesn't really mean anything, but like the way Quentin designs that shot she walks by the theater the songs that are playing her picking up that hitchhiker along the way these aren't right. like these aren't like masterfully um, cinematic moments they're just they're just masterfully done yeah. like it's it, it's honestly it's it's so hard because i and we have this discussion all sure. before like hollywood grew on me um but you know it is a weird thing because masterpiece I, I think technically means their best work that's not quite the definition that's why i say it's a little loose definition of this people have sort of adopted that like you can only have one it just sort of means that it's 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 a highly skilled execution of a craft kind of thing it's, it's pulp fiction though. it is a masterpiece it is a it's his masterfully done yeah. piece of that art um but well that's done. how we are defining it this is our list congratulations was that the most like us easy one kumbaya tier list that we've ever yeah, done sure. look at us part, yeah, look at us i will uh, think so we're friends again <laughs> for the audio listeners wait till we, wait till we do nolan <laughs> for, for the, we'll see if we ever get to, to, to we'll quote kevin we mccarthy we're not ready um we aren't <laughs> i am scared i'm scared <laughs> you should be for the audio listeners at home i will drop a link in the description if you want to take a look at the image of the final 
list or head over to YouTube and you can watch I'm that happy whole with that. thing. But right now we are going to take another ad break. And on the other side, time to uh, pay some bills because we got bills to pay. We'll, fin- we'll wrap this episode up. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And we are back. Okay, so we're going to skip over Obi-Wan talk because we are running a little bit long and we want to make sure we have time for the summer blockbuster blend conversation, which we're going to get to. Before we jump into that, we want to mention that this week in movies, a couple of things come into theaters and also to streaming. Joey King has a movie called The Princess, uh, which looks like it's a period piece with a ton of John Wick style action. That should be a lot of fun if you guys have Hulu. Stranger Things season four part two uh, is going to be dropping on Netflix on Friday july 1st and correct me if i'm wrong there's only two episodes is that two, right the second one episode nine is uh two and a half hours yeah and the first one i think is like 90 minutes isn't hour 40 it? yeah hour right, so 40, it's like yeah. two movies and yeah, uh, while we're here i will plug if you if you did if you missed our bonus episode that dropped this week with robert england um talking about oh, stranger yeah. things talking we put that about, out already well not already it's coming out tomorrow but people who are listening to this it will be out tuesday <laughs> it'll drop on wednesday are we yes. using video on that yes sir Oh, cool, cool. Okay, yes, cool. Yes. For people listening to this, you got to check out this episode. We were sitting in Robert England's, I guess, media room. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was really cool. Yeah. It was weird because he made us call him the King of England, and I thought that was odd. Okay, all right. Nothing? Keep it moving. No? Keep yeah, it I like moving. That. You know I do. All right. There's a wide release called uh, Mr. Malcolm's List, and then Minions <laughs> of the Rise of Gru is also opening wide. Go check out the boys. <laughs> Uh, have interviews with Steve Carell. So the blend game this week, because we have a contest that we are doing. Gabe, you're going to talk more well, about it's the contest. Well, it's not a contest. It's not a contest. Legally, it okay. is not a contest. I have to <laughs> expressly, I have to expressly <laughs> say that. Sean. We yeah, are sorry, doing sorry. a giveaway. It is not a contest. There's no way for you to compete with each other to win. Uh, Correct. Brought to you by the law offices. <laughs> the lawyers just <laughs> descended upon. <laughs> um, and so, for this reason, we are choosing our favorite uh, summer blockbuster films and potentially some memories to go with that. And um, for that, I want Jake Hamilton to go first. Jakey, what is your favorite summer blockbuster? Uh, I'm going with Jaws, a movie that go. I've spoken about extensively at length. Nice. It's the movie that I also most associate with summer. Like, I watch it. Uh, like, actually, what's the date today? To say the 28th. So today I actually should watch it because today is the day that young Chrissy gets eaten. 
Tomorrow the uh, the Kepner boy this is gets how you eaten. Memorialize young Chrissy. Yeah. Yes, and then tomorrow the <laughs> Kepner boy gets eaten, and then uh, as we're as we're approaching the Fourth of July, no joke. This is these are the dates. Um, and uh, and and you know I I grew up you know so it was probably the first movie I fell in love with as a kid. You know, grew up in a small Texas town. Um, really didn't have much going on, and used to just you know like scrap together quarters to go down to the video store and rent Jaws ad nauseum. Uh, the first movie that made me realize, kind of like Kevin was talking, things about movies. That I not that I just liked a movie, but I liked how this was done. I liked how that was done. And and it's just, you know, it's it's the first one. It's the one it's, the, you know, it's 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 the one that created the genre. It's the one that created the, the season and the marketplace for it. It literally affected how people live their lives. People were afraid to go into the sure. water, still afraid to go into the water. And well, it, it literally this isn't a joke. Yeah. It affected industries like people went bankrupt. Yes. Beach beachfront uh, uh, businesses went bankrupt in the summer of 75. Um, because people were just didn't go to the beach and it's, it's terrible to think of, but that's also awe inspiring when you think about the power of cinema in that way. I could Steve be Carell completely that he still can't swim in the ocean because of Jaws. Wow. That's, I think a lot of people wow. feel that way and I could yeah. be completely wrong about this, but I feel like there's also a t- statistic of like, um, shark killings, not, not, not sharks killing people, but people yeah. killing sharks. Yeah. Like there was yes. a crazy increase yeah. just because and, of and like Peter, the Peter eventually. Yeah. Peter Benchley, who is now um, an advocate, uh, a serious advocate of shark preservation, has come out extensively. Um, I don't know if he's ever straight up used the word regret, but has shown hesitation about his contribution to that. Um, sure. and Peter Benchley is in is in the movie Jaws. If you didn't know, he's the reporter that reports on um, all the, the attacks when, that are happening. What date did he die um, in the movie? Uh, he, uh, he survives. Oh, he's a, okay. But right, he's right. he's doing the he's doing the report right before that dude gets his leg eaten in off. And you know, remember when the leg floats to the bottom of the water? That's pretty awesome. That's I would love show. if that was I would love if that was Jake's weird thing. Like any movie, not Jaws, any movie. He's like, Oh, when that character dies, who dies you on see what a clock. Day? It was like March thirteenth. Yeah, it was yeah. March thirteenth. <laughs> Oh what? That's my favorite line from the And Tiger Shot. That's, that's one bad hat, Harry. A what? A what? Uh, all right. So for my pick, I'm going with the Christmas movie, uh, which was released on July okay. 20th, 1988, uh, when Let's John McClane went to the top of the Nagatomi Plaza and, uh, and decided he was going to take down Hans Gruber and a group of terrorists. Uh, Die Hard is. I didn't realize that was released movie. in the summer. It was released in the summer, which is why most people are confused with it being a Christmas movie. Um, and it was the movie that changed my life. This is, that, this is my uh, T2 for Kevin. This is the movie that I saw that made me realize that the movies are really, really special. And I would like to do something with them for the rest of my life. It was first R-rated movie that I got to go see. My um, nice. mom bought me a ticket. Let me go see it by myself while she and my aunt went shopping around the Sunrise Mall. Oh, someone on the YouTubes uh, in the comment down below. <laughs> someone on the what? Said on the YouTubes um, said in the comment down below that I had mentioned the Sunrise Mall and how I used to go see things at Sunrise Mall. And they were like, oh, my God, I'm from Seaford, which is a town near me in Long Island. And they were like, I, I'm sure we were there on the same time. That's so, wild. That's Isn't cool. that crazy to think? I love stuff like that. My the, mom the, and dad probably know that mall because they grew up and they're from Long Island, too. I so. wouldn't be surprised. Sunrise yeah. Mall is huge in Massapequa, uh, Long Island. So I saw Die Hard there. And um, and yeah, it, it is. It, first off, it's the epitome of what I like at, in summer movies. It's it's wall to wall action. It's charismatic hero. It's uh, as stylish as stylish get. Um, smart in a way that summer blockbusters eventually became sort of brainless. Um, I've been doing a lot of focusing on on the everyday blue collar uh, qualities of John McClane and how different he was from the Stallones and Schwarzeneggers of the time. And and then 
the uh, the template that he set moving forward for people like uh, Eddie Murphy to transition over for Billy Crystal to be in a movie like Running Scared and for Hollywood to think of, of action uh, heroes in a different way. Um, and so, yeah, I, until until the MCU rolled around, Die Hard was my favorite movie of all time. And so for summer blockbusters, I'm right. going to I'm going to give it the love that it deserves. Kev. Where you yeah, at? I mean, I, I mean, I, I, again, these is, it's interesting because I feel like these are picks that we all have said before. Um, sure. I, I jumped between Terminator 2 and Dark Knight um, just because they were they were both quintessential summer films for me sure. at my at my at my in my lifetime. But uh, granted, I was not able to see T2 in theaters when I was eight. I watched it on a couch. With my parents in between them on a VHS. But then I eventually did go back and see it in 3D. Uh, years later, um, which I was thankful to be able to see it in theaters. Um, but Terminator 2, I mean, I, I mean, that's the greatest there's, movie. There's I've ever literally seen. an arm over your shoulder right now. Like, it yeah. is, I mean, it's <laughs> it, 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 honestly, it changed my entire life. Um, and I've said it before, but it is. And I remember that summer that it came out. I remember begging my parents to see it. I remember them promising, I remember promising them I would get all A's in my report card because I was uh, I was a talkative kid in school. So I, I would always get re- my teachers giving me comments too talkative, you know, talks too much in class or whatever. And I remember them coming back from the movie after Tiffany, our babysitter, watched my brother and I that night. And I remember them. I remember I could see them leaving and coming back because I remember the trailers on TV were, were I mean, you have to remember. So I, when I was a kid, I've said this before. I was into magic um, uh, similar to Austin Butler. Actually, Austin Butler was a huge uh, Have you said uh, fan this before? of magic. Yeah. I, don't, um, I was just thinking, I don't feel I don't feel like you've ever said that before ever. Oh, I've, I've said this before. It's on the show. Um, um, but I but not when I, I was going. You up, definitely have not emphasized it like that. I don't know. You were like into into magic. The, the fact that oh, both I, Gabe and I just went like, I'm sorry, what? Oh, I was obsessed with magic. So so what I later realized in my life is the reason he's I, an the, onion, folks. The reason why I liked magic so much was because it was a trick. It was an illusion. Yeah. It was it was somebody tricking me before my eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when I finally saw Terminator 2, so long story short of it, I was already obsessed with magic. And then I, w- I was watching these trailers on, on on TV and my parents were obviously, they would go to the movies once a week. That's how I, you know, they my parents loved going to the movies. And Terminator 2 was coming out. It was 91 or whatever it was. I was, I don't know, I was seven, eight years old, whatever, however old I was. And I remember begging them to go with them. And they said, no, it's rated R, you can't go. And they hired this babysitter, Tiffany. She came over, watched us. And I remember them leaving and I remember them coming back. And I remember waiting for them to come back and to hear the review. I was like, how was it? Because I, I wasn't on social media. I didn't have people's sure. thoughts on the movie. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. Uh, and they walked in and they were like, and they were blown away by it. And I remember saying to them, <laughs> I was like, all right, guys, if I get all A's. Hear me out. Uh, back then it was S's, N's, and yeah. U's. Satisfactory, needs improvement, unsatisfactory. And I was getting like some S's, That's how we should N's. do our tier list. Right, right. Needs improvement. <laughs> needs improvement. A new hope needs I, improvement. I, I visually remember asking my parents, if I get all S's on my next report card, will you let me rent this when it comes out on VHS? And they said, if you do that, we will watch it with you. Because there was like there was no sex and nudity in, in that movie. It was just violence and language, right? Oh, can, I, was, let me, can I briefly just one, say one quick thing? I've, I've gotten three text messages from different friends who have asked me, can I bring my teenager to Top Gun Maverick? Like, is it okay for them to bring them to Top Gun Maverick? And I'm like, I'm like of course you can bring them to Top yeah, Gun Maverick. Sure. And then they always reply back and they say, there's no sex stuff in it. Like, that is the only thing people mm-hmm. are concerned about. Like, well, yeah. 
yeah. and the sex She's stuff that's in it is like Hallmark movie. Oh, it's right. as tame as crossfades yeah. over yeah. fully clothed yeah. faces. <laughs> I have a whole other story about that because I remember when I watched True Lies for the first time, my parents wouldn't let me watch her dance scene. And mm-hmm. I remember bringing, I brought this up to Jamie Lee Curtis years later. I was like, I was like, you're a mom. Like, what are your thoughts on my parents not letting me watch? that dance scene, but I could watch all the violence in the film. Yeah. And she gave me a really cool answer. But was that, anyways, back to T2. Yeah, that was a great answer. I remember that. Yeah. Um, but back to T2 real quick. Um, in terms of, I got all S's and I remember sitting on the stairs when I got the report card, I brought it home and I was the happiest I've ever been in my life. Um, and then that moment forward, I watched T2. Then I realized why I loved magic so Did much. Did you get it on VHS I, when it came out? It was, it was VHS. No, I, I wasn't able to buy it. They let me rent it over and over and oh, over and over nice. again. Um, so anyways, Terminator 2 that summer changed my life. And that was the Love moment it. that I realized I under, well, it wasn't near till years later that I realized my obsession with magic really kind of was because James Cameron became the magician, mm-hmm. right? Sure. He was the magician that was delivering a magic trick of a T-1000 coming up from the ground yeah. and turning into yeah. another person. Yeah. If we, I mean, and if you don't, uh, we don't have time for it, but if you don't know the story of uh, the deleted T2 scene, which features <laughs> a mirror, that's not a mirror to me, that, that is a quintessential example of movie magic. Yeah. If yeah. you don't have, yeah. it's, it's, we don't have enough time to get into it. Look it up. It's brilliant. Yeah. That movie changed everything. So that, 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 that's the ultimate. And then in my, in my later years, dark Knight became that movie for me. So it was like T2 was the game changer. And then dark Knight was the next level. Like for and me, James terms Cameron of, pulled the greatest trick of all time by convincing people that avatar was a good movie and that it should make a lot of money Four more of them coming. Wait, yeah, should we, do we, as we trash avatar, should we start saying avatar at the end of the episode? Are we going to try to get Cameron this year? I would love to. I got to. another one. I'm going to, I'm going to test drive at the end of this episode. Just wait and see. Uh, uh, audience picks. Gabe, walk us through the audience picks for. Yes. So, um, yes. Instead of pulling audience picks, we are doing a giveaway and we're recording this on Tuesday and I, I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to cut anyone off. Some people, we have very loyal listeners that trickle in, uh, their viewing, you know, throughout the week. So I wanted to give everyone a full week to participate if they haven't heard last week's episode yet uh, where we announced the giveaway that we are doing. So feel free to tweet at us, email us realblend at cinemablend.com or even in this video, drop a comment using the hashtag summer blockbuster blend. Let us know what your favorite summer blockbuster movie is and why. Um, And at 1 p.m. Eastern on Friday when this episode drops. So if you're an early riser um, and you're hearing this, you still have time. I will pick our five winners of our giveaway part of the notification and what you are going to get. Thank you to the wonderful, wonderful kind folks at movies anywhere who have given us five codes for a movie triple pack, summer blockbuster themed movie triple pack, which includes jaws. Great pick, which includes uh, Mad Max Fury road, black and Chrome edition and (laughs) Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. And again, thank you to movies anywhere. They reached out to us, wanted to do something cool um, because they love you guys and they love that we uh, they love this community. So we love us, too. By the way, <laughs> no one loves us more and than Sean. Us. Sean, <laughs> we, we don't have a giveaway for next week, but what is our right. blend game? Oh, it's a good one. Uh, for next week, you can reach out on Twitter using hashtag Christian Bale blend oh. in honor of Gore, the God killer. Wow. We're going to talk oh. about Christian Bale. So oh. He's really, really, really great in Thor Love and Thunder. 
Okay. It's Good. one of my yeah. favorite performances of his, of his in a long time. He might amazing. make the pick next week. Who He's knows? great in it, man. It's not, it's right. not his best. It's not American Psycho, but it's definitely, it's great. Let us know your pick via email at realblendassemblend.com, or you can use the hashtag, hashtag Christian Bale Blend on social media, uh, where we will be able to pick up your uh, your choices. In the meantime, <laughs> while you're at it, drop us a review uh, on Apple Podcasts or send us a review that we can read on the show at Real Blend at cinemablend.com. As mentioned, uh, our next premium episode is a bit of a landmark. We're going to be recording our 100th premium episode. Uh, and so we decided uh, to do something pretty special for it. We all of us are going to pick our favorite moments from the show from all four years all 220 episodes of the show uh we're each gonna just maybe down to like one or two like one or two of our favorite favorite moments from the show we'll let it flow we will let it flow as we quite often do in the premium episodes so in the meantime follow us online at jake's takes at kevin mccarthy tv at sean underscore o'connell at gabe kovach and the show is at real blend we'll be back with a brand new episode next week and so until then, friends, hockey pads, the Fablemans. Yes! <laughs> Aim big, kids. Aim big. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.